Halo, halo, Sacred Icon listeners. We used to do ads for other people, but I decided, why don't we do one for ourselves? Whether you're here listening to us for the first time or you've heard every episode, I'd like to briefly tell you what we're about and how you can support us. We have been doing this podcast since 2019, and with that has come lots of changes. We started as a primarily Halo-only show, but have evolved, combat evolved, over the years to talk about a wide variety of things in the realm of nerd culture. As you can imagine, we've made numerous changes to our platforms, usernames, and emails over the years, so now is the time for me to set things right and give the Covenant back their bomb. You can join our Discord by clicking the link included on our podcast feed. You can also send us an email or a voice message at sacrediconpodcast at gmail.com. We have a YouTube channel at youtube.com slash sacredicon, and we no longer use Twitter or X or whatever else the kids are calling it these days. So if you see someone who looks like us there, just know it's not us. Lastly, you can support us on patreon.com slash sacredicon and receive a bevy of bonus content. We're so glad you chose us to be the voice in your ear on this particular day and hope you enjoy the episode ahead. What's good, everybody? Welcome on back to another episode of the Sacred Icon Podcast. If you're not keeping it secret, you're not keeping it safe, well, thank you for keeping it sacred and listening to us, guys. We're back with another episode here in January. It's going good. It's going great. We got Final Fantasy VII Remake on the horizon. But before that, we got Brian in movie mode. So we did the DCUU on last week's episode. And Brian and I were talking. He said, Josh, you know, kind of want to do another one like that. I was like, yeah, that felt really good, the way we just went through them and all that. So that's what we're here to do again today. He got the recent Planet of the Apes trilogy for Christmas on 4K. Watch those. And I have my, have my I myself haven't seen them in a couple years, guys, but pretty, pretty fresh in my memory for the most part still. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to sit down today like we did last week's. Uh, for last week's episode, and talk about the trilogy, break down these three movies, and also talk about the upcoming Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes using the Rotten Tomatoes aggregator as just a fun launching off point to talk about whether or not we agree with that, why or why not, and some of our takeaways from these movies. So, Joshy Hargis joining me as always is Brian Arvett, my buddy, my pal, my friend. Dude, how's this movie mood going for you so far? What's this like? It's great because, like, oftentimes I'll sit down and I'll be like, okay, I have three hours or I have four hours. And I'll be like, I don't want to use two to three of my free time hours just sitting here watching a movie. I usually want to, I usually personally want to, you know, put it towards a video game. But lately I've just been like, no, I'm not in the game mood at all. And I'm just watching a movie after a movie after a movie. Last night I sat down and I finished Aquaman. Then I went right into Arrival. Then I, then I went right into Prisoners. Um, so. I'm uh, just rolling, just rolling through them. But um, yeah, how is that feeling for you compared to playing video games, though? In terms of just your time, are you are you feeling like yeah, I'm spending, I'm having fun spending this time watching movies, or are you like eh, I am kind of missing playing games? No, I, I feel like it's time well spent. I feel like I'm getting like a revitalization of my love for watching movies because it's been on the back burner for such a while, such a long while. And I think it's so silly because it really means nothing. But like, I think being able to log stuff in Letterbox makes me feel like it has some sense of permanence. You know what I mean? And then, like, mm-hmm. I actually, like, when I when I put a quote-unquote review on Letterboxd, it's not actually because I care if anyone reads it. It's for myself to be able to look back on. That's, That's really, all, really all it is. That's so um, Yeah, it's been fun. Um, but, yeah, this all kind of kicked off because, you know, I mentioned on the last podcast, but my little brother wanted to get me a, a gift for Christmas, and I knew we didn't have a ton of money. So I was like, what's something I want that's pretty cheap? And they had the entire Rise of the Planet of the Apes trilogy on 4K for 18 bucks, And... So that's what I asked for. He got it for me. And when I came home from Christmas, I was like, 
oh man, I'm in a movie mood. And I started with Rise and I just like I just went through the Planet of the Apes and then I went into like I, I said last episode, went into Batman and I went into 300 and the DCEU and all that. So this will be our episode to kind of talk about the merits of these films, how good they are, if Rotten Tomatoes is right or wrong. Um, talk about what we think the fourth Apes movie will be, like as far as the quality, if it'll be any good. It's a different director. Um, it'll be interesting. So uh, I kind of want to get into that with you, Josh, and uh, see what you see what you think. So. Yeah, man. Uh, before we get into the movies themselves, I'll say that uh, as a preface, I was a huge fan of Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes mm. from 2001. That was my introduction to Planet of the Apes. I was familiar with the older films, the Charlton Heston stuff, but I never watched those. I still have not yet. <laughs> one of the movie, one of those things I own in my big voodoo catalog, but I have yet to actually check out. But I watched that one on a whim. I was engrossed in it. I know it's not received well these days, but I've always really, really, really loved it with Mark Wahlberg and the rest of the cast that was in there. I just had a good time with it, and I wanted a sequel, especially with how that one ended. Have you seen that one? I haven't seen any apes except for this trilogy in my okay. life. Okay, I'd be curious if you ever checked that one out, just because it's its uh, own Erica's one seen thing. it, so, I mean, something maybe she... I think she. we actually might even own it, so... Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah, but uh, that was a really fun movie. I wanted a sequel, but that was 2001, and we didn't get it, and... <laughs> Uh, then when this first one came out that we're going to be covering here in, in a few, uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes in 2011, that was still at a time for me when I was very much kind of like not paying attention to what was coming out, what was in theaters. Usually it was just like if I saw it in a Hollywood video or Blockbuster or at a Redbox, you know, or it had come to streaming or something, that was kind of where I would see something and go, oh, cool, because I was using Redbox quite a lot back in the day. But uh, I didn't quite have my ear to the ground. So when the first one came out, being Rise, uh, I was a little apprehensive because I knew that I liked that one, but I didn't know if it was like lightning in a bottle for me, if that makes sense, because I hadn't seen any aforementioned Planet of the Apes films. So I did end up checking that one out, and we're going to get into that. But um, yeah, I was, I was surprised. And by the end of the... I was surprised by how much I liked it. And by the end of that trilogy... I was just like, yeah, especially the second one, which is my favorite of the three. But that was the moment where I just thought, like, yeah, I'm here. Any and all apes films they ever do, I think I'm just going to eat up and, and love. So what about you, though? I mean, you, yeah, you said you hadn't seen the Mark Wahlberg one. Your first one was Rise, correct? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> in a very uneducated way, like growing up and even into my teenage and adult years, I just kind of thought Planet of the Apes seemed stupid. Like, the concept. Because, mm -hmm. like, as somebody who's never seen one, I just thought, oh, that's the movie where a bunch of humans are dressed up as apes and, like, apes take over the planet. And that doesn't sound interesting to me. It doesn't sound compelling, so I never really cared. Um, I actually can't remember when I first watched Rise of the Planet of the Apes, but I think it was one of those situations where it was, like, the, the newest release at a family video or a blockbuster or whatever. Probably not yeah. blockbuster, honestly. Fam probably family video. Um, and I picked it up and I watched it and I was like, oh. That was really good. Didn't think much of it. And then kind of the the biggest like um, memory I have of the Planet of the Apes, and I, I won't skip ahead to this, but I'll touch on it, is me and Josh's memory of renting Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Like that's kind of like if there's like, I don't know, like 10 pillars of our friendship history, one of them is probably us watching Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I feel like it's a story that we've probably brought up half a dozen times over the course of this podcast just in passing. But um, I was going to say to make a long story short, but no, I'll just basically tell the long version. Um, when I used to live with my parents, I had this really badass like room in the basement that my dad built. And 
Josh loved coming over and we would hang out and watch movies and play video games. He'd spend the night there. I had my own like furniture down there so I could sleep in my bed. He could sleep on the couch. We'd go get, you know, pizza, go get food. We'd hang out down there for days at a time. We'd request days off work so we could all hang out in the basement and, <laughs> and just veg on stuff. And um, one of the nights in particular, uh, we went to, we are like, hey, let's go check out the movie store. And we rented uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which is the second Planet of the Apes movie in the trilogy, um, just because we, we heard it was good and, you know, something fun to watch. And that was just a night uh, in my basement bedroom, uh, us watching Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and kind of just, uh, I mean, literally watching it together for the first time in, in the room and uh, commenting how we felt about it. And then as it came to a close and we finished it, we were like, you know, it was a really good movie. Like, wow, you know, we really enjoyed it. And I don't know, going forward, like from that point, that was probably 2014, maybe 2015. Um, when I think of, when I thought of Planet of the Apes, I just thought, oh, that's when me and, that's that's the thing that me and Josh watched together uh in the basement bedroom, but uh, I did end up going on to watch War of the Planet of the Apes. I rented it myself, probably 2017. I rented it and watched it, um, you know, by myself. I, I wasn't really in the mood, and I just kind of like let it play. So this time around's really been where I've paid attention. But uh, yeah, I definitely don't think Planet of the Apes is a dumb concept anymore. I mean, it's one of those things where, like, I could make myself feel bad for saying like, oh, I shouldn't have judged a book by its cover because you shouldn't. But at the same time, we all have things out there that we just haven't experienced yet that in passing we think are dumb, right? That's just that's just normal history. I know people who think Star Wars are dumb, is dumb and they've never watched one and they just think it's like a nerdy dumb thing. And I'm like, ah, I'm pretty sure there's a Star Wars movie out there for you and that you'd enjoy and you wouldn't feel like this is stupid. But for them, it's just they've made their minds up and that's kind of how I was with Planet of the Apes growing up. But um there, yeah, a so, couple things I, I want to say. Uh, hanging out uh, in your room was always so much fun. Most of the time we played games, as you guys have heard over the years, but we watched select movies over the time that we hung out in there. And, yeah, that, that was one of them. So that, I think, is why it's a core memory on top yeah. of the movie being good. Because otherwise we, we would go see movies together, but it was more often than not if we were at home somewhere hanging out, we were playing video games. So yeah. a movie in Brian's room was kind of an exception to the norm, yep. but that's what made it usually memorable and that was yeah we'll get into that but that movie was such a blast because of that i also had the the added benefit of when i finally did see war which is the last one mm -hmm. i the first time i got to see that was the last rewatch i did of these films which was a back-to-back -back, back you know thing like I, the actual just marathon of the trilogy basically and so it was super fresh coming off the first two in my mind whereas like when i saw dawn of the planet of the apes the second one um I was I hadn't seen Rise in a couple years, so some of the stuff was fuzzy and whatnot for me. Yeah. But um, it's always fun when it's super refreshing your brain, and you can, especially when some of these franchises are like done or at least you know got enough out where you can really just marathon on the way you would almost like binge a TV show. Yep. Uh, that's really really fun when you can hop from one to the next, especially uh, having watched the Harry Potter films recently and just going from one to the other. And it felt like I never left Hogwarts. Like sucks to be you, Harry. I'm still there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, and then. Uh, I forgot the second thing. Yeah, I was gonna say. I understand. That was me too. You want to get into Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Josh? Absolutely, man. Yeah. So we'll, we will start this off, guys, uh, going with the very first one. If it comes to me, I'll mention it. This is Rise of the Planet of the Apes, released in 2011, starring James Franco, Freda Pinto, and John Lithgow, directed by Rupert Wyatt. This has a certified fresh. 82% uh, on the tomato meter and 77% audience score. 
This at the time, let's see if it shows the box office in the U.S., it made $176.7 million. And the critics' consensus is as follows. Led by Rupert Wyatt's stylish direction, some impressive special effects, and a mesmerizing performance by Andy Serkis, Rise of the Planet of the Apes breathes unlikely new life into a long-running franchise. So, I mean, Andy Serkis, man, back doing another CGI character. Yeah. <laughs> what do yeah. you think, Brian? Um, see, I'm, I'm all over the place with this one. So I, I want to say at the top so that... Once I get into like negatives, people know where I actually stand. At the top, uh, this is a really good movie. Um, I, I think it's a, a great revitalization of the franchise, and I really enjoy it. I know, I'll just spoil this now, my favorite of the three is War, the third one. I'm not sure what my second favorite is. It might be Rise. Was that your? Has that long been your favorite, or was it no. something on recent just, advice? Not, just not, not in a judgmental way. I just mean yeah. in terms of just recently. No, just now. Just now, for sure, has been uh, War became my favorite, but... Um, so when I make these criticisms about Rise here soon, I don't actually Rise might be my second favorite. It might even I might like it more than Dawn. I'm not I'm not decided yet. So it's not that I have any problems with this movie really, but um, for me watching Rise of the Planet of the Apes the, the it, uh, verse, you know against the other two movies is I feel like its direction isn't as stellar as the the second two. Um, and of course that's easy for me to draw that conclusion when I know the directors that are involved, but like Rupert Wyatt, who I don't really know for anything, he's the director of Rise. But then the following two films, where it they really they got higher critic scores, they they got more popularity. Those were both by Matt Reeves, who went on to do the Batman. Um, and I just feel like when I watch Dawn and I watch War, I get this like deeper quality film than Rise. Mm-hmm. And that's not to take anything away from Rise. It's just like Rise gives me just these slight hints of like. Man, this this makes it sound worse than I mean, but like, tell me if you get what I'm saying, Josh. But like, Rise of the Planet Apes gives me slight hints of like some kind of uh, Hunger Games divergence kind of direction. Sure. Like, you know, Divergent or Hunger Games or absolutely. Or, or yeah, I get that kind of direct directional or director style from this film, and I don't know if that's intentional or if I'm just like juxtaposing that onto it. But um, I mean, it's a good narrative. It's a good story. A good. I mean. I don't really have any complaints about Rise of the Planet of the Apes. One of the most common complaints I hear about it is that it's like let down by a, a poor lead in James Franco. But I actually always really loved James Franco in this movie. And as far as the human characters go, he might be my favorite of, of the whole trilogy. I really liked his his uh, his character and his interactions with Caesar. Um, I've seen critics say that he phoned it in for this. And maybe, they, maybe he did and I don't realize it. And critics just have a better eye for that than me. But like... Mm-hmm. I feel like the because this is the first movie in the trilogy and like you know the, the CG's younger and audiences might not be prepared to follow an ape as a main character yet they really leaned into James Franco to be the lead of this movie and sure. I think he did a good job um, so really I, I think the acting's good I think the plot's good the narrative I mean the the CG's great for 2011 it's awesome the, the music the score I don't holds have up any well com- I feel for the most part yeah it holds up well it holds up well obviously as we talked about in the discord the whole no moment where Caesar yells no is like iconic mm-hmm. um, this is a great movie which I don't really have any complaints but I do just think that perhaps the reason this trilogy kind of stands out is for many one of the best trilogies out there is because it was handed off to a more capable director going forward. And that's not to say Rupert why it's not capable because one, who am I to judge? And two, Rise of the Planet of the Apes is a good film. Like it's a legitimately good film he directed, but 
it just feels like his style is much more it's it's kind of mainstreamy kind of like that Hunger Games divergent type style which I think whatever that is keeps it from excelling to the to the heights that the the later two movies do so um I think critically this is the worst of the three but worst doesn't feel like the right word to use because this is a really good movie and I wouldn't begrudge anyone for saying it's the best of the three like I, I wouldn't agree but I wouldn't I would think that's not a crazy statement but um yeah I don't disagree with Rotten Tomatoes certified fresh 82 percent. Um, I'd probably get, I, I don't know what I put on Letterbox. I'm thinking I'd give this a four out of five stars. Um, it's really good. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Do you, what do you think, Josh? Uh, over to you, I guess. Well, I'm looking at the director's resume, Tresume, and he's only done as a director, a handful of films, one called the escapist rise that we're talking about now fishing without nets, the gambler in captive state, those movies I'm unfamiliar with yeah. personally. So that's kind of interesting, but, uh, Oh, I love this movie, man. So when I was going into this one, again, I had my my only uh, the only the world building that had been done in my mind was going off the back of Tim Burton's 2001 Planet of the Apes film. Not saying I knew I was expecting this to be a sequel. I knew it was a reboot, its own thing. But that was all preconceived notions or uh, expectations, you know, what have you, were kind of set in that movie and what that movie gave me, and. The interesting thing about that movie, Brian, is that it starts off with Mark Wahlberg as like a space marine dude, like in a spaceship, and he's going. I think he's on a mission or something, and I think he's got a bunch of people in like cryo sleep. I'm I'm a bit fuzzy on the details, but he ends up crash landing on a planet already inhabited, taken over by apes. So it's a little bit different of, a, of an approach, right? Because when you when you go into this one, this one is just humanity is as we know it. Things are normal. This guy that James you know James Franco plays a guy by the name of Will Rodman. John Lithgow is his dad, Charles Rodman. Somewhere in there is Dennis Rodman, eight time NBA champion. I don't know where he's at in the movie, but he's got to be yeah. out there somewhere. He's there, but yeah, <laughs> and uh, he's got Caesar, you know, this ape, and you kind of see this. This is really the beginning of how things become a planet of the apes so that hence the rise because there's this big you know common question out there where people get mixed up between shouldn't dawn be first before rise shouldn't rise be after you know and i get it you know but rise is always supposed to be the beginning whereas dawn is sort of like the new age that's really locking into place there but uh I really love this movie for that. I love seeing just how things are normal and we start to transition into pandemic territory, uh, especially as you get like there's a post credit scene where the one I think it was like a flight attendant guy. He like starts. I think he was around one of the apes during an escape or something like mm-hmm. that. I'm a bit fuzzy. And yeah. then he like sneezes on someone in the airport and you can see that it's starting to begin a strain, which yep. is, you know, especially when what we've lived through with COVID, it's scary and it's crazy how. Yeah this feels accurate in its own way with what it's doing with its own story to how things can spread. But well, we don't yeah. really get to see the, 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 the full effects of that until we get to the second film. But this film itself, I love so much. You have James Franco's character who is so sweet to Caesar and gives him a sense of compassion. And I think what's great about that is when we get to the second and third films, more so the second Caesar does still have a soft spot for humans and can be more forgiving than most of the other apes because of who was essentially his parent. You know, that person set his expectations of what to expect from humans in a a sense uh, before he was kind of wisened up. 
But I also love um, John Lithgow's character in there. I thought he did a great job of just being this father who's with James, you know, James Franco's character. And he's got, I think, dementia, I think, yeah. early de- early on stage well, dementia. And that's, that's the thing. And I'll leave it. I'll hand it back to you. But that's sure. That's kind of the thing that I think makes this such a great uh, revitalization of the franchise is they make really smart real world ways of introducing how the story takes place, because basically James Franco wants to find a cure for dementia because he's losing his father and he's testing apes and that that kind of kicks off why this experimentation's even happening and it gives you a good reason to like like it, it makes you feel for why the experimentation's taking place because in a lot of movies mm-hmm. it's like scientists did some bad shit and then everything went crazy well this is like well okay i understand if my parent had dementia and i had the ability to research a way to cure that i would do the same you know um and i I think that's that spirals off into uh like a good plot of of how these apes become sentient and take over i think one thing and i guess i'm kind of getting ahead of myself but like one thing i kind of found a little bit kind of questionable it's a little convenient and you might not remember this as well, Josh, because you haven't watched it as recently. But like, basically, James Franco's doing some like some kind of bad shit. Like he's he's not really doing things that are approved, and he's going to the guy that's above him and being like, "Hey, if I kind of do this thing that we're not really approved for yet, you know, maybe we could get further." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, go ahead and do it." And then there's a point where he gets shut down, and. So James Franco takes Caesar with him mm-hmm. when he's not supposed to. So James Franco's done like numerous bad things he shouldn't have done. Well, then there's a point in the movie where the moment of the decision happens that will lead to this being a giant outbreak that will screw the whole world. And at that moment, James Franco is suddenly like, no, this is wrong. I, can't, I won't have any part of this. And what that does is it it allows James Franco's character to for the whole trilogy go down as like a good guy and a hero of the, of the trilogy. When I feel like it's a little bit like that's, that's something maybe that I feel like wouldn't have happened under a Matt Reeves direction is like, to me, it's just a little too convenient. Like you're a scientist doing shit you shouldn't do. But then the movie makes it, the movie makes it very, it's like, it goes over it quickly, but it's kind of clear. Like, Hey, this is where stuff's going to go bad. So we're going to get James Franco out of the picture so that you like him still. Because I remember watching, like, after, after I watched Rise, I went into Dawn, and I'm like, I was like, wait a minute. Isn't James, why are they, why is, uh, why are people saying James Franco's a good dude? Like, didn't he, wasn't he part of this? And then I thought about it really hard, and I, I went through the first movie in my head, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. They made him bow out right before the decision happened that's going to spread this to the world. So, um, but yeah, I really hijacked that from you, Josh, back over you. No, here. it's okay, man. It's good to have the back and forth. Yeah, but no, I mean, you make some great points, and you helped refresh some of that in my mind. I've, I, I for, completely forgot that the whole point of him doing the trying to help his dad out was kind of how the ball got rolling with all this stuff in the first place. Yeah. So it's good you mentioned that. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I thought that I thought that stuff was awesome because you kind of have what reminds me of almost like I could equate to the Quarry and Geth stuff in Mass Effect or I mean, anywhere where you have sort of like this dominant, I guess, society and you can do testing or use, you know, these animals or robots or whatever as like slaves or, you know, just testing lab rats, basically. And they start to kind of smarten up a bit. And then humanity's kind of like, eh. And I know the movie's not necessarily quite like that, but it does have those elements of like, we're going to test on these things and, and the picture becomes bigger than we expected and it gets out of our hands, out of control and yeah. changes the world as we know it. But uh, I love that about this. You also have uh, Brian Cox and Tom Felton, uh, who played Draco Malfoy in this film, 
which is he's really, really dick. cool. Yeah, he's <laughs> such movie. a dick. He, I mean, and it's just great because he goes straight from playing Draco Malfoy to playing this guy who is a different kind of dick, but still a dick nonetheless, like you said. And so you have the, the good. You have this old guy, you know, that's that's bad compared to the good in John Lithgow's. And then you have Tom Felton's character, who's kind of the bad, you know, normal age dude compared to James Franco's dude. And I know James Franco has got, you know, under some stuff from stuff he did in real life. But this is another case for me of where I try to separate the character from the actor. And I enjoyed his his uh, performance in this, just the compassion he had for Caesar. And because I, and I'm, I'm a bit fuzzy on some of this stuff, guys, Erwin especially would probably call me out on this if I was, if I was wrong, but I vaguely remember that as he, as the testing kind of went further and got on, he gets Caesar at home and stuff like that. He starts to have as much compassion for Caesar as he does his dad, you know, like you see the love. It's not just about like, Oh, I'm going to bring you home so you can further help me test this for my dad. It's more like, no, they're actually developing a bond and kinship too, which again, we see pay off with Caesar in the next film, which kind of has problems with the villain, uh, the villain, uh, Koba, which is like a backdoor kind of yeah. villain in this movie. You kind of see a little bit, but it, that he's yep. the main antagonist of the second film. But, uh, I really, really love this movie through and through. I love where it goes. One of my favorite sequences is the one on the bridge, the big set piece that happens yeah. there as the uh, the apes are all been freed and they're trying to basically get to, you know, escape. But they had that bridge is a big choke point for them. And I just love how that sequence plays out. Every time I watch this movie, that's what I'm really wanting to get to. Like, I love that it's a slow burn. I love that that's what this movie is. It almost feels like a prequel in a way of getting to where I think everyone wants yeah. to get to with these movies. But yeah, it's like they it's, started with the prequel instead of doing it later. Yeah, and that doesn't always work, but I love that it works I, I, uh, here. You know, I love it so much. And, you know, of course, the iconic moment is when Caesar leans into uh, James Franco's character's ear and is like, let me borrow $20 till tomorrow. You know, I love that <laughs> moment so much. It's just a great, a great scene because you see, in all seriousness, you see his character reel back like, holy shit, this has gotten so now, much bigger than me. Can somebody now go edit that scene and it's just like, when he leans in, it's like, I got twenty dollars in my pocket. I'm gonna like just you know, some. <laughs> well, I didn't come yeah. up. I'm gonna I, pop some tags. I, I can't take credit for what I said there with pocket. that joke. I saw it on TikTok, but it, it killed me so much. <laughs> Let me borrow twenty dollars till tomorrow. But uh, uh, yeah, it's great. But but this movie's uh, fantastic. I I pretty much agree uh, with you, Brian. I think I'm pretty even keel with the Rotten Tomato score, the 82 to 77. It feels like it's a early 80s type of, um, not you know early 80 percentage wise yeah. Uh, yeah. rating for me. I like it way more than I don't. Um, you know, if I had to guess, I'm not looking at my letterbox, but it's probably sitting at at least a three, if not a 3.5 out of five. Uh, I just I love the journey it goes on. It's a slow burn getting to where everyone wants to get to, which is what I said prior and uh i just really stand by that so i i love you get the, the direction vibes on. that i said or not really no yeah i can see that too just the way it's shot the way a lot of the framing there's uh well i won't go into it but there's such thing as called blocking when it comes to direction and stuff like that that i'm kind of fascinated with but no i can definitely see that with some of the hunger games vibes and stuff like that uh especially just seeing how you know which this probably isn't what you're talking about with but with something like hunger games the world's kind of in a different state and you kind of see it get to that point and uh, just the way stuff goes on in this one. But no, I, I love it. It's probably my second favorite of the three. But uh, yeah, fantastic nonetheless. And I, I come to root for Caesar and I think that's so great. And kudos to Andy Circus. I mean, it can't be said enough uh, how great a job he does. And of course, he was the perfect person to do this. And I'm just fascinated, you know, and curious as to 
if he had any apprehension going into this because, you know, you could easily get typecast. I think Andy Serkis said way back when they wanted him for Gollum, uh, he was kind of apprehensive. Like, they want me to play a CG character? Like, I want to be an actor. And then he did that. That turned out how it did. And then, you know, that that was 2003 that Return of the King ended. You know, and he's done filming a lot of that stuff in, like, 2001. But still, all these years later, you know, they're like, hey, we want you to play another CG character. You know? And I just wonder what his headspace was. If he was like, yeah, absolutely, no problem. I can be that person, no problem, you know? Or if it's like, uh, I don't know, but then I'll do it. But either way, he did a great job. Uh, phenomenal, brought Caesar life so much, makes him such a likable character. And Dad and I were watching some movie recently. I wanna say it, I, I, I wanna say it was one of the Fantastic Beast films we're on, but uh, there was an animal in there and the animal was like sad, it's a CG creature. And I told Dad, I said, you know, you know the CG's starting to get good when it's making you feel something for a CG character. Like when yeah. you give a crap. And I, I mean, they did this in 2011, you know, they did it as far back as Gollum, but I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, they did such a good job with Caesar here. Well, see, you talk about Caesar and I think that's why, um, you know, once again, not to jump ahead, but I think that's why war is my favorite of the three, because you kind of see a trend here with this trilogy, right? Rise of the planet of the apes. 80% of that movie is the humans. 20% apes. Then you get to Dawn, and it's about 50-50. Apes, 50 human. Then when you get to War, it's like 80% apes, 20% human. That's a great and, point. And for me, the standout of this trilogy is Andy Serkis as Caesar. And when you get to War of the Planet of the Apes, uh, it feels like a, a character piece on Caesar, where he's the main character and he doesn't have to share the screen. We'll get into Dawn here in a minute, but the screen is pretty evenly shared between Andy Serkis and Jason Clark in the second movie. First movie, it's it's a James Franco movie with, like, I, not to under undersell it because the, the, the truth is it's more than this, but, like, to a lot of people, the first movie, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, it's going to feel like a James Franco movie with a CGI ape, where the second two films start to feel like, oh, this is an ape character with other human characters as well. So, um, and one thing I also thought was worth That's mentioning. That's a good point, though. Like, I, I do share that. Um, I thought it was worth mentioning is in, in Rise of the Planet of the Apes, I, I like how they paint his relationship with, with the James Franco character because um, he loves he loves him like a father, but there's a couple scenes where it shows like he's questioning and wants his own independence. Like there's that part where he's walking out of the park and he's got Caesar on a leash and Caesar sees the dog and Caesar's like, am I a pet? And then and mm -hmm. James Franco's character is oh, like- I'm so glad you mentioned that. Yeah, he's like, I'm no, I'm no, you're not a pet, you know, you're family, you know, but like, and, and you also you feel bad, but you're like, okay, James Franco's character, he has like a, he basically has like a, a super mutant ape, he needs to keep it on a leash because like he doesn't want to ruin people's lives if something went crazy. Um, and there's another scene later in the movie where he uses, it's not that James Franco's character is doing anything wrong, but he uses um, uh, Caesar in kind of a patronizing way because he takes Caesar into like the the vet. And the, the love interest of the movie is like the veterinarian. And he says to the veterinarian, he's so like, pretty. oh, yeah. He's like, oh, Caesar, Caesar's telling me right now that I should ask you on a date. And it's like when you see the Caesar of dawn and war and like how independent and how much of a leader and like a for lack of a better word, how much of a man Caesar is later in the in the, mm -hmm. in the series. You feel bad that he was used as like a, a patronized animal to help James Franco get a date, you know. He, there's so much growth there um, from the because in some ways he is kind of in a in a in a pet situation even though that's clearly the James Franco's character cared more than that um, but he does kind of feel like a pet so yeah I, I think it's a great start but yeah they they had to this was the smart way to do this franchise because I'm really glad you, you mentioned if you, all that 
if you went into full-on ape, like, CGI-only stuff in the first movie, you would have lost people. James Franco, I'm not saying he's, like, you know, he's not as, like, known as Dwayne The Rock Johnson, but James Franco's a, a likable enough, familiar enough face to draw audiences in. So, yep, great movie, Josh. What's your favorite moment? Favorite moment of Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Hmm. Oh, I do like, I was going to say to you, I, liked, I do like they introduced Koba here. I think Koba's the best villain of the trilogy, personally. Koba's um, so good, bro. I love Koba. Yeah. Like, in terms Koba. of just a good antagonist. Wow. Yeah. yeah no, really you said it. that perfectly, because there were a lot of key moments like that where you see his his intelligence progressing, his growth accelerating, and getting to a point of wanting that independence. And that's where they come to that breaking point of, like, they still have love for one another, but... Mm -hmm. I, you know, if I remember correctly, at least you can correct me, but James Franco kind of realizes like, I got to let him go. And also like, yeah, I don't want to be a part of all yeah. this other stuff. So uh, I, I love the journey of that. I love that. So yeah, I think great movie. It'd be easiest. It'd be easiest for me to say my favorite moment is like the him shouting no moment. But I think the truth is for me, it's like those early moments of Frank, James Franco and, and Caesar's sitting in the kitchen and him teaching, you know, when they're starting to form their relationship and their bond, yeah, I think that's what I like the most about the movie, and that's that's the clip that plays in Dude, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. My favorite character in all three of these movies is that big, fat orangutan. Yeah, I love right. that. I don't. Maurice. I don't remember Maurice. Okay, okay. I'm kind of curious who plays Maurice. I'm trying to look at the casting right here to see who might be listed as playing Maurice, and I don't see it at the moment. But suffice it to say, uh, oh, that's played by a woman. It must be motion capture. Yep. In the, Okay, interesting. Um, but yeah, so anyway, uh, love love Maurice. Yeah, she does a brilliant job with that character. But he just he just looks so cool, man. I love an orangutan, man. And uh, I love the part. She's yeah, a lovable like character. You kind of mentioned when they're in that little, almost their own little biome. You know, it's almost you know uh, when they're with the bad dudes and he's doing the no stuff. I just I kind of love all that, especially as he asserts himself. It's just like oh shit, you know. That's when the movie really starts to transition and pick up to me. But uh, yeah, yeah there, there's this part in the movie though, like where where Caesar's just gotten kind of thrown in the cage with the other monkeys, and it it's always kind of a sad part of the movie for me because it's that very like deep transitional moment where it's not fun or lighthearted, but it's also not conclusive. So yeah, not my favorite. Yeah, well said though. Great, great movie though. They clearly had something with this one. Whereas in the 2001, yep. I don't even think I mentioned this, uh, or if I don't know if you know, Brian, but yeah, the 2001 one I've been talking about a lot, uh, that one also had, like the very original ones, had actors in suits. Yeah. Like the one, like Tim Roth, uh, he was the dude who played Abomination in The Incredible Hulk with, mm -hmm. um, what's his nuts? Uh, yeah, he was like the main villain, and you know, all suited up and stuff like that. Helena Bonnet Carter was in there and stuff, so this was the first CGI one, and yeah, they clearly had something, so... We can move on to the second yeah. one unless you got anything else to say. But great. No, we can go on to we can go on to Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Sean. Okay. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes released in 2014, three years later. This stars Andy Serkis, Jason Clark, Gary Oldman, and Carrie Russell. This is the first one directed by Matt Reeves. Uh, Brian mentioned him earlier, guys. But for those that don't know, he's done the Cloverfield films and the most recent one, uh, the Batman film. So, yeah, going into this, this has a... <laughs> certified fresh tomato meter at 91% with an audience score of 88%. And at the box office in the U.S., this one made $208.5 So a big step up. People were 
clearly excited to come back and see more ape goodness with the critics consensus reading as follows with intelligence and emotional resonance to match its stunning special effects dawn of the planet of the apes expands on its predecessor with an exciting and ambitious burst of sci-fi excitement you want to take it away brian yeah, um, I think this is the most common favorite of the three, and I think it's for good reason. It's a really good movie. It's it's ups the ante from Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I think even if I even if I said I liked Rise of the Planet of the Apes more, I think objectively this is a better film. Um, Caesar really comes into his own as his own character. You get to have uh, a real insight to the culture of him and his apes, and then there's also the human side, and then the way that the two of them come into conflict, right? Like, you, you see mistakes on both sides where, like, an ape character does something they shouldn't have, a human character does something they shouldn't have, and Caesar trying to keep the peace to, between everyone and then, like, the internal struggles, right? Because there's, you know, like, Caesar's trying to keep the peace and Koba's like, this is bullshit, we need to take him out. And then you see on the human side, you'll see somebody like Jason Clark trying to keep the peace and Gary Oldman or other characters being like, we need to we need to attack, we need to do this or that. So it does a really good job of making you feel for both sides and understand the plights of both sides mm-hmm. and see how it naturally builds up to uh, the, the climax. Um, I'll just get this out of the way here now. Um, it's unfortunate, but the reason that this movie isn't my favorite is because I just don't like Jason Clark or his performance <laughs> at all. Um, and it's hard to have your main 50%, like half, it's a, it's a, What's the word for two protagonists? Is it de- deuterologist or something like that? Where you have two uh, protagonists? Dual protagonists. Uh, you know, I, I think I there's know. A, one word for it, but he is the, he shares the spotlight with Andy Serkis as, a, as the human protagonist. And I just, it's not really, it's not that he's a bad actor. It's not that I hate his face or anything, but I don't like his acting. Like whatever method or style of acting he has, I, I doesn't resonate with me. I don't like really when he's on screen that much. I've seen very I've seen a, quite a few movies with him in it. I've never liked Clark him. just always seems like he got woke up by a phone call. You know? Yeah, I don't know. There. He just, yeah, he he, he brings, it's, it's like he lacks all charisma. Like he's a good actor, but I just feel like there's no charisma. Um, he also seems, he just seems, he seems kind of unlikable, which is unfair because he's probably wasn't a good the, person in real life. But Wasn't he the antagonist of Terminator Genesis? Terminator wasn't Genesis. He's also in a... He's also in a movie I watched called Chappaquatic, which is a really weird name. Did the um, Pet Cemetery remake that also starred John Lithgow? Uh, yeah, enough, but um, yeah, but I know what you're saying. Uh, one, I'm sorry. Yeah, he was in a movie called Everest that I watched. Um, he's in that. He's the lead character. But yeah, so I don't really care for Jason Clark. But that's more of a nitpick, personal preference on my part. But it does sour uh, some of the movie for me a bit just because I don't really like Jason Clark. But um, yeah, this this is a clear front runner for for potential best of the trilogy. Um, you see the tensions build and then you do eventually get to see like what this goes back to what Josh said, like the, the titles for these movies are so screwed up, right? Cause you end eventually see like a very cool war at the end of this movie between the humans and the apes. And then when you get to war of the planet of the apes, there is almost no action in war of the planet of the apes, which when people went to see war, they're probably like, hell yeah, man. Hell yeah, brother. We're going to get some beer. We're going to go see the monkey war. You know, can you give me your you get- redneck? Hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah, brother. And, <laughs> and you go to see War of the Planet of the Apes, and it's just like this introspective character piece with no action, and it's just probably really disappointing to people. But as far as Dawn of the Planet of the Apes goes, this is the one that really has the big war at the end. This has that scene that I see everybody talk about, where it's like they, the camera is set on the tank, and it shows the monkey like taking the guy, the human, out of the tank, getting in the tank, and then using the turret himself. But the the camera is like sitting on like the tank cannon the whole time and it never moves 
really good like uh, cinematography here. It's it, like I said, this the whole movie is elevated by Matt Matt Reeves being the director. I think um, you get actors like Gary Oldman that you know a lot of us love from other movies, whether it be The Fifth Element or the Batman films or Harry Potter. Uh, he's great as always. Um, I definitely I definitely love seeing the conflict between mostly between Caesar and and Koba and their two like mentalities on how to lead and. Uh, it all builds up in a climax that I think is really cool because I love seeing Caesar go against Koba. Like I said, Koba is my favorite villain of the of the trilogy. Um, and then you see like Jason Clark's character try to stand up for the apes and kind of be defiant against Gary Oldman and some of the other human characters. Um, but uh, by the time the movie ends, it it kind of sets us up for a bleak third act because the humans have notified basically the last standing military group um, by the end of this movie, which is going to set us up for the third. But something I wish I had started with, which I find really cool, I wish I had mentioned it right off the bat, is that when Rise of the Planet of the Apes ends, you've seen the apes break out, you've seen them go against the humans. Um, everything okay, Josh? Yeah, just thought I heard something. But you're good. Okay. Um, at the end of Rise of the Planet of the Apes, you see all the monkeys kind of uprise against humanity, but... When Rise of the Planet of the Apes is over with, everything seems mostly normal. Like, yeah, there was an ape uprising, but, like, Earth's still the same, humanity's still the same. But like Josh said, there's a little allusion to the sickness that this guy has at the end of Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Well, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes makes the very bold decision to just open up kind of like Blade Runner with, like, text on the screen that says, you know, blah, 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 blah. This happened in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Because of this, a virus outbroke, and millions and billions of people died. And now, the Earth looks like this. And when Dawn of the Planet of the Apes opens up, we're already in a post-apocalyptic setting. Like, tons of humanities died off, and people are living in, like, old abandoned, like, humanity, like, stations and stuff like that, and makeshift buildings. Um, so, it, it jumps right into it. There is no, like... They could have spent three movies just trying to get us to where Dawn was, but instead they're like, no, we set it up, we're going to jump right into this. Um, yeah, I think all the performances are great. I think the the narrative, the cinematography, the music, the setup, the ending, it's great. Uh, 91 certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. I think that's I think that's good. Over to you, Josh. Yeah, man, it's helping that you're uh, kicking it off because it helps refresh me so much on a lot of this stuff. I'm going to read the, the plot synopsis for this, too, because that'll help, because I need that as well, and I'm going to start doing that for these movies from now on. Uh, ten years okay. after the simian flu wiped out much of the world's homo, homo sapiens, genetically enhanced chimpanzee Caesar and his ever-growing band of followers have established a thriving colony just outside San Fran and Muir Woods. Meanwhile, a small band of human survivors emerges, which forces Caesar as leader to grapple with the dual challenge of protecting his people and reestablishing a relationship with the remaining human population, the latter being Caesar's secret wish. So pretty much what all what you said, Brian, which I loved from the get go. You know, this played into, I guess, like a, a, a Joshi trope of like takes place in the forest. There's a lot of woods and jungles and stuff like, you know what I mean? Just in terms of the locations, the biomes, whatever you want to call it. Um, so this was up my alley in terms of just the settings. But uh, I, yeah. Brian and I watched this in his room, and there are times, guys, when I've hung out with friends, and I know how rare it gets as you get older to get time with friends, so my attention span can kind of waver if I'm not doing the thing I think I really want to do. And Brian, you know, Brian was, I think, to your credit, you were the one that, like, initially asked me about, you know, should we rent this or whatever. And But I was like, yeah, I was game and everything. And 
then we sat down and watched it. And I don't think there was a single part where, which is, and I say this because this has happened to me before, but there, I don't think there was a single part where I was like, okay, like I'm kind of starting to check out. I want to like go do other stuff. Like, okay, maybe let's finish this later, you know, and then we don't. But like, I was engaged the whole way through, especially as you get to like halfway through the movie and stuff. But I love this film. Uh, Koba, I just thought was great. I mean, you kind of see him working with Caesar and, you know, I think uh, Caesar's son's in this one too, right? Yeah, that was something I actually, when I got done talking, I thought I left out a whole portion, which was the sun angle. So. Oh, do you want to say anything about it? Uh, I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, one of the big conflicts is that um, Koba is trying to kind of like take Caesar's kid under his wing and like direct Caesar's kid in his direction. And you end up having um, Caesar's child like side with Koba out of naivety and ignorance. And it leads to this point in the movie that's pretty cool. And I, I think it's what... See, I know Josh really well, and I think what I'm about to say is right. Uh, he might correct me, but I, I think I'm pretty on point here. <laughs> the fact that Dawn of the Planet of the Apes took the time to revisit the home of James Franco and touch on that first film and <laughs> reference it and reference it and actually show like on the camera footage Caesar interacting with him and then Caesar talking about that interaction, that's what made the film whole for Josh. If there wasn't that scene... <laughs> of him going back to the house and talking about James Franco's character, I think that would have been something that Josh would have said in the cons was felt felt missing. But it was there, and it felt complete for Josh, and that's one whole scene. And that's also the scene where, because the reason that Caesar's back at this house is because he's wounded, and uh, they end up going and getting his son, and his son comes back, and his son realizes that Koba's the bad guy, and Caesar wants peace, and humans can be good. They're taking care of his dad. And then, like Caesar shares, like you know, this is where this is where my human kind of father lived, and, and shares that footage. So, um, yeah, there's a whole other element there at play, and I think that scene. I mean, even for me, that scene is very good. Like, I'm glad that was there. It was cool to see that as someone who'd watched Rise, but I think that was probably big for Josh. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that a lot because you said that in the last episode about how I like to have that connective tissue. You know, just like yeah. an Easter egg, even just some kind of reference point. And you're right, I do. Because if I he never referenced that. him, you would have been so salty. If he never I would have been a little bummed, yeah, because I would have wondered where he, what happened to him, you know? Yeah. And I think the inclusion of that, just the picture frame of the two of them and him seeing that in that desolate home is the reveal. I mean, it, it leaves it open to interpretation, which is nice. I think it's great, especially in this setting where this pandemic has wiped a lot of humans out. And then the ones that are there, like, you know, stragglers and stuff, still trying to figure out a way to live in this world. And there's a push and shove with the humans and apes and all that, right? This big kind of contest for control. That's what's cool about it. But my implication always, or my my thoughts always led to believe that he died. We don't know how, but he died. Same. Or, you know, and, and maybe he didn't. You don't know. But, like, that, that was always the assumption I had. And I thought seeing that scene gave so much more weight to the film, not so much just what Caesar was going through and how he reacted to it, or in like a fan service way, if you want to call it that, but more so just the state of the world at the time. You know, like he completely lost contact with this guy. Ten years have passed, and he just never saw him again. And when he did finally go back to that home, where which was essentially Caesar's childhood home, in a sense, uh, he's gone. And there's just this question. All you have, le I mean, it'd be like in this world if something like that happened and, you know, you don't have the ability to call somebody, go online, all the, all the way you could reach, all, all the ways you could reach somebody from far away is, is, is removed. And all you have is something like that, like a picture. 
and it just tells a story without telling anything at all. And it didn't get in the way of the film, of what the film was trying to do, the story it was trying to tell. It was just a very subtle moment that had a lot of implications that could go either which way, but did enough to kind of answer a hanging thread left over from the first film. I loved it for that. It was brilliant. Gary Oldman is in this, like you said, always great in his stuff. Where's Gary Youngman? No one's seen him. No one's heard from him. Where is he? But Gary Oldman is great in this. And I thought you made a great point, Brian, when you talked about how you kind of have two dual protagonists who are also having their own villains, you know, being between Koba and this Dreyfus character that Gary Oldman's playing and how that comes to fruition. My favorite moment in this whole entire movie is right near the end when Caesar and Malcolm are having a farewell moment. And I'm paraphrasing the quote, but a lot of you guys who have seen this will remember this, but they're having a, a farewell and Caesar's going back to his apes. Malcolm's going back to the humans. Stuff's going to shit. Uh, the whole movie up to this point has almost made it seem like there might be a sense of balance that can come into place. Things might actually kind of work out. And I'm a sucker for movies just like Revenge of the Sith where it seems like stuff could go one way, but it's always going to go the wrong way. And you just, you know, you, every time I watch it, there's that small part of me that's like, maybe it'll go different this time, even though I know it's going to be the same way. But that's the fun of it for me as a moviegoer and buying into the world. But the moment where... Jason Clark says something to him like, I thought this was going to work. And Caesar says, me too. And it's just this like sad breaking up. Again, I'm paraphrasing, but you just see them part. And I couldn't wait for the third film because I thought how, okay, I got to see what's next. I got to see what happens because this was going to, it's so close to working, you know? I mean, just how, you know, how close we've been in our lives to something happening and then it doesn't just slips through the fingers. And it's like, this is such a pivotal thing. Uh, in the future of Earth, and it just slips right through the fingers. They almost had it, and uh, that's that blows my mind. I, I think about that scene a lot. Um, I love it so much. Carrie Russell's fun in this. I mean, I just I like her in a lot of her roles. Um, Toby Kebel, Cabell, I may be mispronouncing it, but he does the motion capture I think for Koba. And the thing that is interesting to me is this guy, for frame of reference, he played the brother to Jake Gyllenhaal's character in Prince of Persia: The Sands of Time, mm. and uh-huh. He, to me, has, and I feel bad for the guy. I don't dislike him whatsoever, personally. He has, like, a movie curse to me. And he reminds me, him and Jai Courtney, have like, they've starred in a ton of movies, but they're rarely ever successful movies. Jai Courtney was, like, in Terminator Genesis. That didn't go over well with a lot of people, you know? Like, he was in that first 2016 Suicide Squad. Didn't go over well. He was in Live Free or yep. Die Hard. Didn't go over well. Tony Keppel has been uh, in a lot of movies that have that same thing. I think this might be his most famous one, and you don't even actually see his face. So it's interesting, <laughs> but that's just my own train of thought. But, yeah, I love this movie um, for its setting, seeing the dynamic between... Caesar and Koba. I mean, just a lot of duality in this film throughout the the humans and yeah. the uh, the apes. And I, I love how this navigates it. The cinematography, like you said earlier, Brian, especially with like the tank, um, so well shot. I mean, you can definitely feel the upgrade in this film, and I think that's what you want in a sequel. You know, if it needs to justify its means of existence, so it's got to be, it's got to at least be better. I don't always subscribe to bigger or more badass, but you got to be better and. It completely justifies through and through its reason to be there. I think, I think even most people who 
maybe prefer the first movie would still say this feels like the better film because it doesn't insult what came before it. It really is coming off the back of that, but it has enough distance and time to differentiate itself, tell its own story while having a little nod here or there to what came before, you know, like the picture frame we talked about. So I love this one. I mean, I just loved it through and through. I loved uh, my, my favorite stuff is just how much it feels like stuff is going to go one way and it doesn't. It's a, it's like a scale. This movie has such a scaled plot and I, I, I love getting to see that play out and what side it's going to land on, even though I always know the result, you know, I love it. It's my favorite. Yeah. And I, I do think maybe, I mean, you could, you could see it as a potential mistake. I, I think that Matt Reeves sets this movie up like by the end of it to paint, paint, it paint, it ends up painting a picture in your head for what the third movie will be. And the third movie really isn't what anyone expected it to be. I agree with that completely. I share that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's completely because like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is basically like by the time you get done, you're like, oh, they tried to work this out, but it just wouldn't happen. And the military has been notified and shit's going to go down. And what's the major third act look like? And then they call the third movie War for the Planet of the Apes. And you're like, that's exactly what I thought it'd be. I thought it'd be this giant war where we get our conclusive like end. But that's not the direction that it's taken at all. And I think that's initially initially when I went and rented this. Um, back when it came out, I was disappointed in, in War for the Planet of the Apes. But on a, upon a rewatch, um, I'm really appreciative of the direction he took with that film. So, But we're not there yet, so we'll, I'll go ahead and just you know say, yeah, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is... It, it's probably the easiest one to recommend to anyone, right? The, the first one, you don't quite get the full scope of what this could be. And the mm-hmm. third one doesn't really match the expectation. The second one just kind of has it all. So, Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. It's a heartbreak. Dawn is a heartbreaking film to me. Like Rise is really exciting because it's like seeing the beginning, seeing how we get to where Planet of the Apes is, you know, everyone's familiar with it. But Dawn is the one where like it kind of starts out like we're in familiar territory with what people would come to expect with these movies. But then it's like the journey of like, oh, well, this human thing might work. Well, oh, wow, that could be a different. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's not going that way. Okay. You know, and then like you said, it sets up for a war. The point of the apes, you hear that title and you're like, oh man, this is going to be a like free for all. But yeah, it ends up being a much more intimate movie. But we, yeah, we can move into that one. But Dawn's my favorite. Uh, where does it rank for you, Brian, out of the three? Well, as I said, I, I'm having trouble deciding which is my second favorite. Um, because mm. I mean, I know it sucks, but I mean, we all have these Chris. Just, I just don't, I can't stand Jason Clark. Oh, so Jason Clark. <laughs> And also, Jason Clark, the the kid who plays Jason Clark's son in this movie, sucks. Also, I can't stand it. Either. <laughs> okay, um, I can't so, remember. I didn't. But didn't uh, but then but the thing at the same time, I don't feel like Rise is as good of a movie. I'll go ahead and say that it, this isn't concrete. I could change my mind, but I'll go ahead and say Dawn's probably my second favorite. Okay. Well, one last thing I want to say, made me think of too, is I loved in this movie the weight you kind of sense that's on Caesar's shoulders. Um, because he's kind of got this group established, you know, and you start to see Koba who immediately, like we're, as we're immediately introduced to him, this guy's the rebel. This guy's the hothead. Like he's really strong, very powerful. A lot of people kind of respect him and you almost start to see a civil war kind of develop, like you said, with his, with Caesar's son and stuff like that. But I really love 
how they capture that with the characters, uh, the actors' performances with the CGI. The VFX yeah. is just so good in this. And, uh, yeah, I really love seeing that dynamic. Everything splinters on each side, whether you're a human or you're an ape. Everything's kind of like it could go one way, but everything kind of goes the same way for each side. And it's just such it's so heartbreaking. But well, that's what makes it so riveting. To make a, I think it's a great movie to make a point to people in the real world about politics. And I won't get into it, but like politics usually comes down to. This side's bad, that side's good. Or my guy is the guy who's nice and your guy is the guy who's mean. And this country did this thing and they're bad. Or this, you know, this person who believes this religion's bad. That's how it always boils down, you know. Um, But the fact of the matter, just as Dawn of the Planet of the Apes paints it here, is there's internal conflict on both sides. So is the villain really the apes? No. Is the villain really the humans? No. But there's villains within both sides that cause enough strife that it brings the two to a head and you know nobody wins in that so, no yeah. no yeah beautiful movie beautiful one but yeah you ready to move on to the next one i am ready josh yep. all right this is war for the planet of the apes released in 2017 starring andy circus woody harrelson steve zahn so great to see steve zahn in this uh this is certified fresh the highest one of the three at 94%. Again, the last one was 91 uh, with an audience meter of 84% being the second lowest. Um, the plot for this one reads, Caesar and his apes are forced into a deadly conflict with an army of humans led by a ruthless colonel, played by Woody Harrelson. After the apes suffer unimaginable losses, Caesar wrestles with his darker instincts and begins his own mythic quest to avenge his kind. As the journey finally brings them face to face, Caesar and the Colonel are pitted against each other in an epic battle that will determine the fate of both of their species and the future of the planet. And the critics' consensus says, War for the Planet of the Apes combines breathtaking special effects and a powerful, poignant narrative to conclude this rebooted trilogy on a powerful and truly blockbuster note. So this is your favorite one, Brian. You want to take it away? Tell us why. Yeah, man, there's there's a lot to cover here. Um, this is the one I went into with the, the lowest expectations because I said I, the first time I watched it, I, I found it kind of boring. It wasn't what I expected it to be. But basically the movie opens up to uh, a group of humans in the, humans in the military, the, whatever the contemporary day post-apocalyptic military is. And I think it's kind of neat. The film opens up. Once again, you have Matt Reeves' cinematography. The film opens up behind the soldiers and the helmets they're wearing has stuff written on it like ape killer or or, or ape grub nabber. Or, you know what I mean? Like sometimes mm-hmm. like people in the military, they make like these these weird nicknames for themselves. Basically, it's sure. kind of like a, you know, picture like Inglorious Bastards, like scalping Nazis. It's like these guys are like, oh, this I'm, a, I'm an ape killer. This is why I have it written right. on my helmet. And it opens up to them like approaching this ape base, uh, Caesar's kind of base. And uh, what ends up happening is Caesar and his apes, defeat the military here but caesar being compassionate to humans because of his background with them he uh he takes the prisoners and he says to them hey return to your your general and tell him to leave us alone i'm, I'm not going to kill you and then the, the the guys in the military they're like they're shocked that these apes are going to let them go they thought for sure they're dead but he's like no go back to your general tell him that we don't want to fight and leave us alone we we, we mean we mean you no harm and that's kind of the mistake, right? Um, and this this is what's so great is this builds off of the conflict in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes he has with Koba because Koba's whole thing was, you know, apes first 
and humans are bad. And if we give humans an inch, they'll take a mile. And that's what the whole conflict was over. Well, you see this happen right at the beginning because here's Caesar, the sole one in charge. Koba's out of the picture. He lets them go. And what happens? Immediately they go back, reveal the location of him and his family. And the very next night, Woody Harrelson and his troops show up and they murder his son and wife in cold blood while he's not there. Um, and basically, as Caesar shows up and sees his wife and child dead, um, he has two children. So the, the, the youngest child is, is kidnapped, um, but the, um, the older child and the mother are, are killed. He sees Woody Harrelson like kind of um, grappling. He's about to grapple up from a cave entrance. And he sees Woody Harrelson, and he goes into a complete, absolute rage at the death of his daughter and child, and makes goes after Woody Harrelson, and, and Woody Harrelson manages to escape, and um, then it becomes, okay, what the apes need to do is leave this location and find a new home, because it's not safe here. And Caesar basically says, yeah, that's what needs to happen, but you guys go ahead and do it without me. I'm taking off to get vengeance, because all I have is blind rage, and I want vengeance against this this colonel who's played by Woody Harrelson. Um, and basically a couple of the main characters, uh, Maurice, the, the orangutan, um, and a couple yeah, other monkeys. Yeah. A couple other monkeys that have names. I can't recall what their names are. They follow Caesar and Caesar's like, no, don't follow me. This is, this is folly. This is death. I'm going on a vengeance kick. You should go with them and find a new place. And they're like, no, we're coming with you. Um, and along their way to trying to find Woody Harrelson's character, they run into a little girl who cannot speak, um, and then they they end up taking her in under their wing. So this little human girl's following them around. She can't speak, and then they run into these like three humans who are like buried beneath the snow, and they go to like check them out. And one of the three humans buried beneath the snow is still alive, but he can't talk. And what you come to learn as the movie goes on is that the ape virus has evolved it's kind of like covid like with new strands there's a new strand it's evolved and now it's taking away the vocal cords it's it's ruining the vocal cords of humanity so they cannot speak any longer um and um so that's why the little girl is blind and they, as they go further on they end up meeting steve zahn's character which is this little kind of skeptical frady cat kind of monkey um, who's like terrified. He's he's really kind and helpful, but he's terrified. He doesn't want to do anything, doesn't have much courage. They find him, and this all kind of culminates with them getting close to the uh, military base, and Caesar walks up on this mountain ledge where he sees several apes basically crucified. They are nailed to like wooden crosses, wooden poles, and just being left there to die in the cold, nailed to this wood. And he's checking them out, and he's he's looking down to military base. He's seeing all these tortured apes. And then one of the apes that's hanging on the wood behind him, nailed to the wood, kind of chokes. And he realizes that that, monkey, that ape is alive. And he starts to get that ape down, and then, boom, out of nowhere, the military catches Caesar and imprisons him. So you have the few monkeys that were accompanying Caesar, you know, Maurice and Steve Zahn's ape, that didn't get caught, they're on the outskirts, but Caesar's now been caught, and he's put in this giant military-industrial prison where, like, all these apes are being kept imprisoned, um, and uh, even his youngest son, Cornelius, is, is trapped there, all the baby apes, and um, Woody Harrelson's in charge of this military base, and uh, Caesar is just so filled with rage, he wants to just murder 
uh, Woody Harrelson's character. And Woody Harrelson basically has him chained up. He, they have this monkey. I think they nickname him Donkey. Probably a play on like Donkey Kong or something. It's this ape that like works for the humans. He's like a big gorilla. I think mm-hmm. they, I think his name's Donkey. I think they shaved Donkey in the back of his head or something like that. Um, but uh, so they have this big donkey and like humans in the military that have like Caesar chained down. And there's a couple moments where Woody Harrelson and Caesar have some interaction between each other, where they talk and Caesar, you know, wants to kill Woody Harrelson. And Woody Harrelson talks about how he killed, I think he said he killed his own kid or whatever, uh, because of something that happened earlier in the movie. And like Caesar just sees how how much of a POS Woody Harrelson's character is. Um, and basically the whole film, the majority of the film, because I what I just described is probably the first 45 minutes. And then there's a big battle in the last 20, 30. But an hour to an hour and a half of the movie is this Caesar is imprisoned. He's having conversations with the Woody Harrelson character. He's trying to find out ways to escape, to get revenge on Woody Harrelson. Um, The other monkeys that haven't been caught are trying to figure out how to free Caesar. And it just becomes this slow, methodical, introspective character piece of Andy Serkis as Caesar. And once you finish this movie, it becomes pretty clear that, like, despite them calling this War for the Planet of the Apes and how Dawn of the Planet of the Apes shows this up, it seems like what Matt Reeves really wanted to do was say, hey, we've got the technology, we have the confidence in Andy Serkis's acting ability through uh, motion capture, that we're going to make Andy Serkis Caesar the main character of this film. We're not going to lean on any human characters. I mean, the first film was entirely leaning on James Franco. The second film was heavily leaning on Jason Clark and his compatriots. The third film is basically a, a Caesar-led movie. This is the motion-captured Andy Serkis leading the movie. You have Woody Harrelson on screen a few, every now and then, but he's very much a, he's a villain, but he's there like a partial amount of the, to- of, of the time. So you have this introspective character piece, and it's kind of like painting like what Caesar will become if he gives into vengeance. Um, and it's funny because I feel like these, these narrative themes were kind of pulled forward into the Batman with Matt Reeves. Because what's Matt Reeves' whole thing with Batman? Like, I am vengeance. I He, he gives into vengeance at all times, and then by the end of the Batman, it's no longer about vengeance. He's like, oh, I can give people hope. And I feel like that's kind of what happens here with Caesar. Um, and as the film comes to an end, you end up having um, this other, I don't even know what they're called. I don't think it's, Military is probably not the right word, but there's like this other military that comes to fight Woody Harrelson's military. And in the midst of it all, humans fighting humans, uh, Caesar manages to get the apes out, get them to escape. Um, Caesar goes to confront Woody Harrelson. When he finds Woody Harrelson, he finds Woody Harrelson laying there drunk, and he realizes Woody Harrelson can't talk. And what's so interesting is oh, yeah. he, he looks over he looks over at Woody Harrelson, who can't talk, and he sees that Woody Harrelson is holding the doll of the little girl that's been following them this whole movie, basically implying that the little girl who can't speak, when he captured her, he took her doll and the germs were on the doll, and now he can't speak. And Woody Harrelson basically has done everything in his power to avoid this kind of uh, this disease. And the fact that he's now subjected to it, he wants Caesar to kill him. He, has, he takes the gun and he puts it to his own head, and he he's wants Caesar to pull the trigger and kill him. And Caesar won't do it. He ends up like giving up his vengeance and leaving him to die there alone. Caesar, or I'm not Caesar, um, Woody Harrelson's character ends up shooting himself. And um, uh, let's see, what is it? Caesar ends up going to blow up this giant like 
gas or 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 battery or whatever to to take out the military base and the human that he let go at the very beginning of the movie shoots him with an arrow fatally wounds him and he ends up blowing up the compound the other military shows up takes out Woody Harrelson's thing the apes escape and the movie pretty much concludes with the apes finding their kingdom finding their place where they can start anew where they can they can they can move forward and actually have their they don't have to worry about the military coming after them anymore they can they can start a new life it is the planet of the apes and Caesar mortally wounded um, he dies and and uh, Maurice tells Caesar I will let your son Cornelius know what you did and who you were and that's kind of how the film ends like Caesar's goal throughout these movies was to get his people to a place where they could live and prosper and he does that in his final breath and the movie ends and it's like this beautiful character piece on Caesar and I just loved it and I can see why people would watch this movie and be underwhelmed because it's not really what they were expecting from the title and it's honestly not really what they were expecting as a sequel to Dawn of the Planet of the Apes but if you didn't have that uh, uh, predisposition and, and expectation and you look at it for what it is I just think it's a ooh, magnifique um <laughs> character piece movie with Caesar and the fact that it that Caesar is the main character and it's it, it's all about dissecting who he is as a character that's what makes it my favorite movie over to you Josh <laughs> I kind of just gave the whole movie rundown on, on a oh you got a, it was a good plot breakdown man this it's clear to see or it's easy to see why this one's your favorite I mean you, you kind of sold it right there and it, I mean it helped helped me a lot so I appreciate it but yeah so I have to point the finger at myself and say that I have realized recently why I struggle so much with third films, like in a trilogy. Like any movie that is effectively ending a franchise, I struggle with yeah. getting into. And this movie is fantastic. I can I can't disagree with anything you said, Brian. I don't even think I can necessarily disagree with the Rotten Tomato score. Um, it, I think it does have a couple criticisms. I'll get into them, but but I think for the most part, this movie's good. And it may even be my second favorite. But the reason why it usually, for me, out of the three is my least favorite is the same reason I struggle with, like, say, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 or Return of the King even, you know, Um, even though I love that one, like, through and through. But that being uh, is that when I watch movies, I get into them, especially when it's a franchise. The first movie is the introduction. I'm a fish out of water getting to understand these characters and the worlds and the settings. The second film invites me back and says, you can come back here and stay here for a while. And Hey, you know, there's a lot there's, we, we still got more story to tell. So get comfortable. This is the middle act. This is not the beginning. This is not the end. You can get comfortable. And then the last one says, you know, after all the time, yeah, you know, that you've spent loving and getting attached to these characters, this is where it's going to end. And that always kind of reminds me in a meta sense that like my time with these characters is about to be over and I can't ever disassociate that, you know? And it's like guardians of the galaxy three, for example, I think one of the biggest, it's a great movie, but one of the biggest issues it has is it's constant. It's got a depressing tone because James Gunn wants to constantly remind you like beating you over the head that this is the end. This is the last hurrah with these characters as we know it. And it kind of takes away from just getting to be in the world and kind of forget about that for a bit. Like, I don't get to fully buy in because it's constantly so overtly sad. But um, And it's not having as much fun with itself as the other ones did. But this is a different movie. You know, different genre, different tone and stuff. And uh, it just makes me sad because Caesar dies. 
You know, I, I get so bummed knowing that like, oh yeah, like this whole journey I've been on with Caesar, it's going to end here. And that always bums me out. Now, part of the reason I like sustained narratives in this day and age, even though that's not always a good thing where they constantly are having sequels come out and re, you know, sort of like soft reboots and all that requels. I like those in some ways because it just invites me back. And the, the, the part of me that struggles with usually the, the final chapter uh, gets to just have a re-evaluation of that uh, and, and enjoy it for what it is because there is more to come. So it's like now that the Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming, it's almost like I can I can next time I watch War of the Planet of the Apes, I can enjoy it and know that okay, there's another one to go uh, after. Even though Caesar's story is done, there's still I still get to live in this world and see more of these characters. But that being said, this movie is awesome. It is my least favorite because it's a slow cooker. I have only seen it once, but most of my memory is in that camp. And it's not I say to say one thing, that Josh, just, to, yeah, just one thing before you go on. Um, I want it to be noted that this is a film where you really have to sit and stare at the screen and pay attention the entire time. And I'm saying that to judge myself because when I first watched this movie, I was talking to a girl on my phone, like texting. And my interpretation of War of the Planet of the Apes was Caesar sits in a cell for two and a half hours <laughs> because I didn't pay attention because, because this movie doesn't have like, it's not like, you know, Avengers where like, oh, there's a scene where this happens and this character shows up in this bombastic moment. If you only if you are not paying full attention, you miss most of what this movie's going for. But continue, Josh. No, that's fair. I mean, I, I haven't seen it. I think I last watched these in 2021. So close to three years now. But uh, that's what I remember. And I was fully engaged watching it. I couldn't wait because, as I said before earlier, when I was going into this watch, this was the first and only time so far that I did a full trilogy rewatch. You know, there wasn't any gap in time. It was like, you know, we finished yeah. the last one, you know, and then the next day we started War for the Planet of the Apes. So it was really cool to do that. Um, and I was fully invested because this was the one I hadn't seen. I was rewatching the other two, but this was the one that I was like wanting. This was the one I wanted to get to because this was the one I hadn't seen. And I knew how much I had liked the second one. So, OK, where does all that lead into this? And I was yeah, I was depressed uh, with the snow setting. And uh, I mean, it sounds like classic me, but um, just, yeah, it was sad. <laughs> it was so sad. And, uh, you know, I just remember so much of his time as a prisoner. It's great, though. Like, objectively, they did a great job with this. It takes your expectations and kind of throws them a bit. Not so much purposefully, but it just kind of alters it a bit. It's still very much a war for the Planet of the Apes. Because, like you said, Brian, the movie ends and it's like it is finally the Planet of the Apes. It's almost like what I said at the DCEU episode of, like, how the Snyder trilogy very much is sort of like the beginning of where the DCU was going to kick off, you know? Yeah. It was like essentially its own Iron Man where like this is the beginning of it all and everything else is like, okay, now this is where we start to spread ourselves out and go tell different stories and come back. But this one, yeah, by the end of it, it does truly feel like this is the Planet of the Apes. Um, and I, I love it for that. And I love how it ends. Um, I think the stuff with his son is great. Um, Woody Harrelson, I'm the guy's got such a gap tooth uh, that I don't like. I don't like him. And uh, I've just never liked Woody Harrelson too much. Like, I enjoy, <laughs> I enjoy him, but, but, like, mildly. Like, he just kind of drives me nuts sometimes because he's sometimes he he never feels like he gets lost in the characters. He's always just playing the same person, but, like, with different roles, yep. if that makes sense. And it doesn't mean he's a bad actor. It's not like I would know what to do, but um, 
and I'm joking about the teeth guys, but uh, he just plays a focused douchebag. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, I don't dislike him, but I don't like him really at the same time as an actor. Like, I, if I see, like, I'll put it this way: I've seen him in White Man Can't Jump. That movie is great with Wesley Snipes, but um, I've seen him in Venom too. Let there be carnage, and uh, which they, him and Andy, considering Andy Circus directed that movie, there must have been a budding friendship that happened here to get him yeah. on that to play Carnage. But uh, I mean, granted. Then again, he was in the post credit sequence for the first one that wasn't directed by Andy. True. So I don't know. But anyway, anyway, guys. Uh, Maybe Woody brought him in as director. That's a great point, Brian. That's a great point. Uno reverse there. Uh, but uh, no, he, he still does a good job in this. And I, I thought it was great that you went through the plot and you reminded me so much of that, um, that scene uh, where he actually goes to their camp and kills the wife and son. I completely forgot about that. That helped set the tone, set the stage of who this new antagonist is. But um, it, it feels, once again, it feels very separate. It feels very removed. And not to a fault of the movie. Like, you know, it's another gap in time, and here's where this is at. Um, but Steve Zahn, I was going to play just a quick clip. Um, his motion capture is so good, but his voice is what I love the most. But listen to this real quick. Yeah. I find a long time ago after zoo, I look for food. I find human zoo. Human man. Get sick. Get sick. Ape. Get smart. That get smart. Human. Kill a human. Kill ape. But not me. Not me. Yeah, that's pretty much it. But I just think his performance is my favorite in the entire movie as Bad Ape. I think that's what he's called in there. And Steve Zahn, I've always loved, you know, and he's like, like the most recent movie I've seen him in was uh, 8-Bit Christmas. But other than that, I, I kind of see him pop up sporadically, but I loved him growing up. And uh, it's just great to see him in this as that character. And, uh, whoops, I got to get out of that. But the thing that was interesting, I, I think I've mentioned this to you, Brian. I didn't know if you uh, remember this at all or if I have told you for sure, but um, I was curious because unlike the James Franco thing, I didn't get any update in this one as to what happened to Malcolm's character from the second one. So I went and I did a little Thank Googling. God. I put it in Google. <laughs> I put it in the <laughs> I put it in the Google machine, and uh, it says it has been implied in the novelization and outright confirmed in an unreleased version of the film that Malcolm confronted the Colonel and tried to get him to see peaceful solutions. That's when the Colonel shot and killed him for sympathizing with the apes. I hated it. You know, makes sense to me, but um, there's no reference of that. There's no mention, and you don't need it. You don't need. It's a big world. It's a big planet. A lot of things can happen. You're moving in different places. We're jumping through time. You know, in terms of just the, the gaps between films. But I was I was kind of bummed that there at least wasn't some real nod of that. But one of the things I do like though, because um, I feel like I've given it a little more criticisms than I have good. But uh, I love when he's in camp. Caesar starts getting these flashes of Koba. And it almost is kind of like like you and you already kind of summarized this, but it's kind of like starting to he's starting to almost align with that sense of revenge that Koba had against the humans because of what he's gone through. And it almost is like he's starting to kind of become him and, and have shades of Koba and it kind of scares him. And it ultimately, uh, if I remember correctly, is also what helps push him away from that. Like when we get to that confrontational moment with the colonel wanting him to shoot him, that's you know also why yep. he doesn't do that. And he kind of resists that. And where he's been on this sort of revenge kick of just absolute hatred, of kind of going through what, what Koba has gone through in a lot of ways prior. Um, unlike Koba, he makes a different choice. So I really love that. Um, it was a great way to carry over you know, from, from uh, that journey. Um, from the second movie so but it ends really really well and uh i have a great time with this it's just a personal gripe it's just sad 
you know, it's the end. <laughs> so. Well, I think I think it is. A, I think it is a depressing tone. Like, even if this take away the fact that it's the third and it was the last movie, it's just a depressing tone because the whole movie is like the movie opens up with death and sadness, and the whole movie is just anger and vengeance until the end. You know what I mean? Um, I like my sunshine but, and uh, lollipops. You know, I I love movies like this because they make me feel. And uh, it's important to feel that way because sometimes when you feel sad, it's it's a reminder of when you once felt happy, and that's why you kind of feel differently in the moment. But um, I love that's what I love about movies; they make me feel all these different emotions and stuff. And uh, this one's a real heavy one. But as a, in terms of a conclusion, yeah, going off the title, it's not what you expect. But wow, is it a great story? And Caesar goes through so much, but it's so rewarding to see that sunrise kind of at the end with all the apes freed and. Maurice there with the sun and him dying just kind of as yeah. he finally arrives at that that kind of open area just a beautiful beautiful ending. I just I think what I respect so much about the movie is it's clear that they, that like Matt Reeves wanted to make this an Andy Serkis or Caesar film like everyone else is supporting cast even like Woody Harrelson is marketed as like the human character of the movie but he does he's not he's not really the focus he's not in it that much I mean I know he's the central like antagonist but. He's he's kind of there to once again support what they're doing with the character of Andy of Andy Circus, the character mm-hmm. of Caesar. Um, so I really I really appreciate that, and uh, I think it might have been best if they had named the second movie War and the third movie Dawn and left the first Rise, because you have the Rise and then the Dawn and then the War would have been you know you experience that big war in the Planet of the Apes. Because the thing here's the thing, there's a war at the end of War for the Planet of the Apes. But unless I'm forgetting something, and I just watched it a couple weeks ago, the apes aren't really involved in the war. They just escape, and then two crowds of, like, the military, one human military and another human military, fight each other, and that's it. I mean, I know Caesar does blow up the camp, but for the most part, at the very end, it's just two humans going against each other, and it's over. So, I feel like war is kind of the second movie, but, I don't know, it's weird. The, the new that's film coming out That's a good point, though, Brian. That's so. a good point, actually. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. So, I mean, because if you swapped... If you put Dawn as the first, then you'd have to put Rise for the third. That doesn't really work as much for me. I mean, maybe you could say Rise because I of think it's just it's so them finally finding their place. But yeah, I th- yeah, and I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just think it's I get where the common question pops up because Dawn and Rise are two of the same things typically in most scenarios. You know, yeah. when you think of the sun, yeah. you know, it's the sun, you know, the, yep. it's dawn, it's dawn, or it's, you know, sunrise, but uh, they both take on two different meanings here, so, yeah, you kind of got to watch them to kind of, like, get the context of, like, why they have the title slapped on them that they do, but you're right, Brian, the second one has a, an actual genuine war going on, and the last one really, yeah, the by the end, for the second one. yeah, yeah, I know, I'm saying with the bridge in the background, he's on the horseback, and he's got the gun in his hand, but yeah, you're right. The third one could be the dawn because of how it effectively ends. That's interesting. But people probably would have would have complained even more. Dawn? What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? Who knows? But, who knows? Uh, but yeah, I think I think this whole trilogy though, um, Rotten Tomatoes is on point with all of it. There's really nothing off here, and it's a great trilogy. And many I hear people say all the time it's one of the greatest trilogies out there. You know, I I'd agree. I can't. Yeah, I can't disagree. I mean, you know, obviously you have your obvious like Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, you have the original trilogy of star wars is iconic and you know i would probably personally say the nolan batman trilogy i know some people really hate the nolan batmans but i feel like it's up there but other than what i mentioned i mean yeah i mean apes is right up there with the rest and very compelling very good i don't really think at any point does it falter anywhere and i hope that kingdom can continue that trend which is kind of our next thing obviously kingdom of the planet of the apes has not come out yet but it releases this year 
and it follows on from I think it uh, jo- jo- uh, Josh will read it off. I think it think it might be a hundred years in the future or something like that. Um, the kingdom takes place, but we're gonna Josh is gonna read off like the synopsis for that, and then we're gonna watch the trailer for Kingdom of the Planet yeah. of the Apes. Talk about our final thoughts, our thoughts on that one, just final thoughts overall, and get out of here. So, yeah, you want me to you want to do the trailer after I kind of break it down a little. Yeah, break it down, and then we'll do the trailer. We'll react to it. Okay. Yeah, so Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. This is coming out May 10th, 2024. So this year, um, one of the bigger movies of this year, just because this year we're seeing uh, a lot of cool down between games and movies from just how crazy 2023 was. So this is definitely one of the bigger ones. I'm so excited that it's going to get that attention toward it because of so but the premise is nearly 300 years after the events of war for the planet of the apes ape civilizations have emerged from the oasis to which caesar led his fellow apes while humans have regressed into a feral state when the ape leader proximus caesar prevent uh, perverts the teachings of caesar to enslave other clans in search for last traces of human technologies Noah, a common chimpanzee, embarks on a harrowing journey alongside a young human named May to determine the future for apes and humans alike. So this stars Owen Teague as Noah, Freya Allen as May. That was um, Siri from The Witcher Show. Kevin Durant as Proximus Caesar. I love that actor. That dude always plays Adel someone. Fuego you- from Wild the Hogs, baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You want me to be caught up? Shit, man, that's a great callback. Uh, but yeah, I, he always plays such an asshole in his roles. But uh, this are some other people, but one of the other notable names is William H. Macy. So, uh, yeah, what do you think, Brian? How are you feeling about this one? Um, well, I mean, me and Josh have talked about it before, but I think this is one of those things where, like, I would be completely really excited because we're getting a fourth, you know, entry into this cinematic universe of, of the Planet of the Apes. Um, and I want to see what it looks like when the apes are kind of on top since really like the trilogy just kind of built us up to that point. But what's concerning is that, uh, Matt Reeves is obviously not returning. He's too busy with the Batman part two. Uh, this will be, um, oh, what's the director's name? He's the director of the Maze Runner movies, which is where my concern comes in. Mm. You know the name, uh, Josh? I'm, I might West Ball. It is West Ball. Yeah, the director is West Ball, who's known for the Maze Runner films and, those aren't particularly seen as amazing films. I would say the Maze Runner films kind of go in line with that whole Hunger Games divergent type feel that I said the first film had, which wasn't a compliment. Book to movie adaptations, basically, because <laughs> they all, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so I um, that time. <laughs> so it's 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 uh it's up in the air if this could. I, I doubt it can match the quality of Dawn or War. Maybe come in line with Rise, but my expectations are, are pretty rough because the director. I think Josh, you said some of the same producers are there. Is that correct? Well, it's got some of the writers, if I'm not mistaken, from uh, writers from okay. the previous. Yeah, I think I think two writers, if, if memory serves right. But uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't want to take it away from you. Go ahead. Yeah. So so yeah, I mean, there's there's a chance I'm going to be open minded, even if this comes out and the reviews are like, oh, 15% on Rotten Tomatoes. Kingdom completely squanders the what the trilogy set up. I'm still gonna go see it at the movie theater. I want to see this. I want to give my opinions on a f- movie and a franchise I really like. Um, so I'm excited to see this movie regardless. Hopefully, West Ball can bring it, and this can be kind of his standout film. Um, but yeah, Josh, unless you have something you want to say, I'm ready to watch the trailer. Well, yeah, I will watch the trailer and then I'll give my thoughts on it because I do want to get that refresh okay. watching it. Okay. Okay. Ready I'll, when you I'll are. I'll say buddy. on three, Josh. We'll hit. Yeah, we'll hit play when I say three. Okay. Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds great. Uh, One, two, three.
Ooh, 20th Century Studios. Look at that. There's that jungle you like, Josh. Oh, man. They got me with the biome already. It, it looks lush. <laughs> Welcome back to Pandora. I mean, cinematically, the movie looks as good as the trilogy. I like the cinematography there. That shot is beautiful, just seeing the Great Lakes and stuff, and this bird. And there's an ape. Oh, that's so cool. I hope, well, I guess Cornelius would be dead. I hope there's a descendant of Caesar in this. You'd hope so, yeah. Look at him, he's an orangutan, bro! That's, I get so hyped when that, I see that's him. Maurice's, that's Maurice's grandson. <laughs> I'm making that up, I don't know. He's on horseback, looks like he's, you know, in The Last of Us 2. Now we see these uh, humans. Freya Allen is in this. Yeah. yeah. See a bunch of humans uh, getting like whipped and roped. Apes hugging. Apes, you know, having stare downs. Oh, he's got an electro staff. Apes having tasers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is that Maurice? I got to check the casting again. As far Can't as it, Maurice. It, the looks go, it looks just as good as the trilogy. Looks on the same level of quality. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of exploration. Looks like they're discovering, you know, the past of human civilization, just the technology, like the plot suggested. Yeah. Going to a coastal area. And the king, uh, Proximus uh, Caesar, whatever. What a wonderful day. Kingdom of the Planet of well, the Apes, Del man. It's a Del Fuego. Del Fuego. <laughs> yeah. Oh <God>. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me want to watch that movie. If again. you guys have ever seen the Tim Allen movie, Wild Hogs, uh, there's a character in there who's in the gang, the Del Fuego gang, and that guy is playing Proximus the Ape in this movie. So Yeah. Shout out um, to you Del Fuegos out there. And just for a little extra info, it says um, and regarding Kevin Durant's role as Proximus Caesar or Del Fuego, he is a powerful chimpanzee ruler who leads a coastal clan of apes in search of human technologies. So, yeah, dude, I think this movie looks on the same level of quality as what we have come to expect from this trilogy. I love that it's a yep. blank slate in a way. Like Initially, when I saw the trailer, I didn't fully read into anything. I just took her for what it was, and I thought it was focused on the son of Caesar, grown up, and this is his story. But while there's a part of me that would have liked that, I think the blank slate is safer because you're trying, you're taking place in the same universe. They're going to be dealing with, uh, you know, this Del Fuego dude who's perverting the teachings of Caesar to enslave other clans and stuff. <laughs> but you know, I think it's better this way because if it sucks or if it's good regardless of the outcome it kind of gets to stand on its own you know and doesn't have to be true it's gonna get it's, people are still gonna stack it up like you heard me and brian say like you know immediately like it still has the same look as the other ones like it's still gonna have that probably i don't think it can escape that being part of a franchise now but uh i just like that it's a blank slate 300 years um you got a new chimpanzee character um but i don't see um oh the orangutan it looks like is named raka a wise orangutan and an ally of Noah. Okay, so yeah, new new one. I, I wasn't sure if it was Maurice or not, but so glad we got an orangutan back. It's the same stuff, you know, uh, that they had before. You got the same stuff, you know, you got the same type of apes, you know, with an orangutan in there. You got a younger chimpanzee it's who like seems poetry, like poetry, Josh. Yeah, it rhymes, bro. <laughs> he's coming into his own here. Um, but I love how this film looks. Um, the writers, uh, having similar writers um, makes me feel very confident in this movie. I don't, I don't look at it like I don't think it's gonna top Wars quality. I think or the the weight that that, that movie had going for it because this is a blank slate. 
but like I still look for this to be good. Like I like my expectation if I have any is just to at least be as as enjoyable as the first one was. And I say that as someone who like that's probably, you know, especially going off Rotten Tomatoes, that's considered by many to be the worst of the three, even though everyone considers it to be good. Yeah. But I just need it to hit that base level. That's it. You know, as long as I enjoy it, um, I'm there. And everything in this trailer is exactly what I want in terms of settings. So it's probably got me on board already. Like I'm already kind of there. What what about you, Brian? Yeah, I mean, you kind of said it best. I mean, I think I think it, it can it'll stand on its own if it's bad, and if it well, I mean, it's gonna stand on its own either way. But if it's bad, we can kind of separate it, mm. and if it's good, we can kind of be like, oh yeah, I'm so glad that the three led up to to this entry. You know, what I think is so funny is I just picture like. You know, you picture like the 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 neck bearded eighteen to twenty year olds who went to see the Phantom Menace back in the day and came out of it and were like, "Man, that movie didn't have anything on the OG trilogy. That movie was shit." Like, I can just picture like eighteen to twenty year old neck beard guys going in now to see Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes and coming out and be like, "Man, that had nothing on the OG trilogy. Rise, <laughs> Dawn, War. That was shit." You know, like we're back in that scenario where like this is kind of like this is the prequels or the sequels. This is the next yeah. era of the apes. So um, and the the original trilogy here has very high, a very high standard, much like, um, you know, Lord of the Rings or Star Wars. So we well could said. be in for that situation again, because especially if like for all we know, um, Kingdom could be the most financially successful of all of them, mm-hmm. despite its quality maybe being less. So maybe in five to eight years, Josh and you and me are talking about the kingdom in the next two. Like we've we've seen three more, and then it becomes kind of like OG versus sequel trilogy of the apes. And uh, there's a there's might be an exciting conversation there if we have years and years of apes movies to look forward to. But uh, yeah, this is a net positive for me. It's easy for me to forget it if it sucks, but uh, it would have to really really suck for me to discount it completely because you guys heard us on the DCEU. Um, episode and stuff like Birds of Prey, Shazam 2, I didn't really enjoy, but I'm fully okay with accepting that as part of DCEU canon, so mm-hmm. provided Kingdom doesn't do something outlandishly stupid that, you know, I mean, even if it does, because like I, I think many of us, you know, and this will be a little teaser for when we get to a Star Wars episode eventually, but like, I think many of us were like frustrated with how like Rise of Skywalker seemed to undermine the impact of like what Anakin did in the earlier films. So, you know, if, if something happened in Kingdom that undermined what Caesar and company did, that could make me really pissed, but I'm probably still going to like the movie for being in the Apes franchise, and it's another piece of that world I can enjoy. Just like Rise of Skywalker, I still enjoy it despite all the complaints. So, yeah, I think we've, we've been through this rigmarole before with other franchises, and I'm excited for it, you know? Sometimes you're just a glutton for punishment. Maybe it'll suck, <laughs> but I want to see it. I'm excited. Well, I'm with you, and I like that you said all that, too, because we were talking about that in the Discord, I think, yesterday, and I was I tagged Brian. I'm, you know, you're starting to see a revisionist history come around for the Hobbit trilogy. A lot of people are starting, you know, that, that were young, grew up with those ones, are starting to get a voice now and talk about how these movies ain't as bad as everyone says they are. And that happens, with seems like, with every legacy, like, trilogy or sequels that comes yeah. out, whether it's Star Wars, that, or, you know, the, the Potter films, I'm sure it'll happen for eventually. It's like you give it a good 10, 15 years or so, somewhere around there, people always kind of come around. And, you know, it happened with the DCEU, even though that's kind of a different story, but still applies to revisionist history. And... 
Uh, I, I love to see it personally. I, I love to I love to see the conversations happen. But I think that's another reason why I'm glad this is a blank slate because for those people that get to watch the first you know the first three and they buy into it. Let's say you're introducing somebody who's never seen them before. They're getting to see them now, and um, you know for them that's a good stopping point. You know, but if if that person is is interested enough that they want to see more. You know, they can go check out this new one to see like the payoff of all Caesar's journey from the three films. But if you're someone that doesn't like this movie, well, then it's not going to hurt you to stop at War for the Planet of the Apes if you ever do a rewatch of them all, you know, and just skip this one out. Yep. Right? So it's nice that it's set in, in the same, you know, universe. I mean, it says here, I'm looking on the wiki, Ball confirmed in December 2023, explaining that the film had been conceived as the beginning of a trilogy that, quote, fit into the legacy of the previous three films. So, obviously, I mean, and I figured that, too, that I figured this was at least planned with the intention of being the beginning of a new trilogy. So I'm there for it. I just hope it does well. But I, I if people are going in expecting this to be on the same level, uh, I think they're gonna. That's where the disappointment will come in because it just can't stack up to what came before. You got to let it be its own thing. Just be excited that you're getting more yeah. from that same universe you enjoy. It's the best mindset to have. It's like Lord of the Rings to the Hobbit, Star Wars to the prequels. Same, yeah. same deal. Just glad I lived to see it. Well, this hasn't Man, come out yet. I know I we've already I can make done an episode on each of the. <laughs> yeah, I know we've already done an episode on each of the Hobbit movies, but it's like I want to do a Rotten Tomatoes version of that now. Like I like the system we have here for for talking about these movies because you know we're gonna be disagreeing with them Rotten Tomatoes scores for the <laughs> Hobbit movies. Well, I can't wait um, for you guys listening. I have, my dad and I are going to be rewatching this, uh, starting the Middle Earth films sometime this week, and we're just wrapping up the Fantastic Beasts trilogy. But uh, I can't wait to rewatch those, get those fresh in the mind. So we'll be back soon enough doing an episode on all six of those. I can't wait, but. You know, I would would really love to hear from you guys if there if you are enjoying these sorts of episodes, and there's any other franchises you would love to hear Brian and I talk about, just so you can have in your ear to think about while you're working or whatnot. Let us know. Let us know. We'll take it into yeah, consideration. Yeah, it's been an awesome time, and uh, I know we have an episode covering the Xbox event a couple a little bit later this week. But then I think after that we'll be back to some other franchise to cover yeah, this. Two week. episodes this week. The, yeah, two episodes this week. Uh, the episode, the the DCEU episode we did turned out really well. A lot of you guys tuned in for that one, downloaded that one. So uh, hopefully the, the same is the case for this one. And there's lots of uh, cool franchises we can cover. So let us know. And um, that's all I got to say, Josh, before we get out of here. You got anything you want to say? Uh, just that, you know, it's it's a great trilogy. Uh, I'm glad to see, the, see it expanding with another film. I'm glad we're at that point. I think it's really, really fun. You know, the uh, the other three came out during a time when there was so much uh, rebooting or sequeling. You know, just more like requels of stuff. Things were getting soft rebooted. We saw, like in 2015, for example, we saw the return of Mad Max to the screen, Jurassic World, uh, you know, new Star Wars movie. You know, you started to see the return of a lot of these, like, franchises that at one point in time had been big. And the Apes films were big back in the day, and then they got progressively worse from what I've heard. And then you had the 2001 one that came out, and it didn't do well. They wanted to start something with that, but it just didn't have the the juice in its uh, tank, I guess, for a lot of people. But this these ones came out, and you know, even though I wasn't there paying attention, you know, when they were new, what was the hotness at that time? It was great to always watch these and rewatch these, and they just complement each one. You know, each one complements the previous so well. I feel like, and it's like you said, Brian. I think it's one of the better trilogies we've ever gotten in terms of consistency, quality, and just pure enjoyment overall. So I love these movies. Absolutely, I echo what Josh says. Uh, 
one of my favorite trilogies. Uh, I just love what they've done with these these films to make them seem so much. I think they're taken so much more seriously than how Planet of the Apes movies were often perceived before this trilogy. Um, I think they add a lot of credibility. You have some of the best actors in the business in in these movies, and um, you know Matt Reeves being a, a big director. And you know credit to Rupert Rupert Wyatt for kicking this off. Uh, you know, sure. Rise of the Planet of the Apes is a great movie, and I know there's going to be some people listening who are hearing different points of the things we're saying and going, Rise, Rise is my favorite. I think Rise is the best one. I don't think you really offer that. I mean, I do think there's there's clear improvements in the other two, but I think Rise is a strong enough film on its own, and it's that wonderful origin story that yeah. I can totally see where that'd be so They each give you something different. You get the first one that's like, you know, set in what feels like a, a real time, you know, that where, you know, you see the fall of humanity kind of just beginning as the movie's ending. The second movie kind of covers where things have already gotten kind of desolate and now it's kind of at an even keel level and where's the where's it going to tip on the scale and then the third one shows where it's tipped on the scale and how we navigate you know how that ends and wraps up before kind of kicking off the future of this franchise so i love that and i think kingdom can only really help you know refresh how great this trilogy or franchise if you will is in people's minds by coming out in may when it does so very excited love it in general looking Looking forward to Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes later this year. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to another uh, episode of Sacred Icon. Uh, if you guys want to leave an email, podcast, you want to come join our Discord, uh, go to our Patreon if you want to you know, help us out there. We appreciate all that, guys. Thank you, you want to so leave us a five-star review on Apple Pods, uh, you know, just saying, Hail Koba, you can do that. Yeah, do that. Say Hail Koba. That'd be, <laughs> sorry, that'd be hilarious. Sorry, love or, you guys. Or actually... Actually, I would even appreciate it more if you say go Del Fuegos. That oh, yeah. What awesome. about let me borrow $20 to the ma? Let me, let me borrow $20 from a Coba Del Fuego. How about that? Brian, can you hit me up with the let me borrow $20 to the ma? Like in the same way in the last episode you said, I need a gangster. Okay. How's the line go again? Say the line again. I need let me, <laughs> let me borrow $20 to the ma. Let me borrow twenty dollar till tomorrow. <laughs> That's how you do it, right there. That's why it's worth sticking to the end of the episode, everyone. Oh my! Absolutely, gosh. guys. Thank you so much Love you for listening to another episode of the Sacred Icon Podcast. And as always, keep it sacred.